0: I want to welcome you guys today for being a part uh, I know a lot of our people are uh, there a lot of our people are on retreats some people are still out of town um, but I'm so grateful that, that you guys showed up today um, we with this series called Burnt, it it's a very uh <laughs> I'm really excited to share it because um, our last series was monsters within and monsters within we talked about all the it's really just like a giant, um, a giant like double-edged sword. It was cutting to our souls, finding the different monsters inside of ourselves as Christians. It, but it was also justifying of uh, the different monsters that might have attacked you. But this series called Burnt, it's it's really going to be a series about hope. It's going to be a series about uh, really talking about the areas of our lives that feel burnt. You ever hear, hear that term, the grass is always greener on the other side? It's usually because your side seems like all the grass is burnt. And going to be talking about being burnt out in, in church, being burnt out at work, being burnt out even in your family, your marriage, we're talking about being burnt and how to find hope even when everything else is fried. And today, with the, uh, the, top, the, the title of today's message, is I'm Not Happy. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not happy. Some of y'all meant that more than others. But I'm not happy. And the pressure is inevitable. Pressure in life is inevitable. And it seems to grow as we grow older. Everyone eventually hits the wall of, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I can't. We hit that wall at some point. And that wall can be at work, at school, in your faith, your family, or even your marriage. And being burnt out can cause you to give up completely or at least compromise against something that you stand for or believe in. I believe that it is summed up in being unhappy. One can only pretend to be happy for so long. And today, I hope that this message encourages you and gives you a mixture of healing and forgiveness to your soul. And with this message, as we get into it, I actually prepared a whole nother message, just to give you some background. Uh, I had a lot of scriptures, um, nearly a whole chapter of Genesis, and I, I spent actually a couple hours preparing it, and right when I was about to be done, I made the slides and everything, and right when I was about to be done, I just felt like, Man, this isn't the sermon I'm supposed to give tomorrow. And so last night, I, I, uh, I deleted it all. My wife was like, you didn't want to just save it just in case? I was like, no, I don't give out stale bread to people. <laughs> if it's for someone, then God will give me the words to say all over again. But even though I had plenty of scriptures before, the only scripture I have today is in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13. And it says, A glad heart makes a happy face. And a broken heart crushes a spirit. A happy heart makes a happy face. Isn't that so simple? Isn't that overly simple? That the Bible just tells us, Yeah, you can tell if someone's happy by their face. (laughs) They have a smile on or not. Isn't it funny that you can see pretend smiles? If you get really good at smiling, you know that if you wince, it makes your smile look more genuine. See, look. See the difference? But what we really want to do today is is expose the amount of people that are truly unhappy. It's not just you. And... There's so many of us that are in this point of unhappiness but we just can't be transparent about it. There's so many people at church that I've talked to and they just look so down. I was like, hey man, are, are you okay? Yeah, I'm great. Man, could have fooled me. Your face doesn't really show it. No, I have the, the joy of the Lord. Cool, man, good for you. And the other day I found it really peculiar because I asked someone, a Christian, hey man, are you okay? And they were telling me like, yeah, just this, that. I said, well, let me just ask you this. Are you happy with what you're doing? And what he said was so interesting to me. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, oh man, I don't think it's that complicated. If you have to explain happiness, then I think you might be lacking it said, so, well, I mean, do you mean like a earthly happiness or like a spiritual joy? And I was like, is there a difference? And don't we kind of excuse our happiness by saying, well, I have the joy of the Lord, and that's like a spiritual thing, like I'm content, but is joy and happiness really that much different? Yeah, happiness is like, you could say being happy in your circumstances is different than being able to be in a storm and still having the joy of God. But really, it, when it comes to just being happy, I mean, are you happy? Are you happy with what, where your life is at? Let's start with the first point, where I'm at. Someone say, where I'm at. Where I'm at. And a lot of times when it comes to happiness, and when we think if I'm unhappy or why I'm not happy... Sometimes it's because it's where I'm at. just where I'm at right now in life. I'm not happy. It could be your job. It could be you waiting to graduate school. It could be a number of things. Maybe some situations that arose that you didn't expect, and you're not happy where you're at. And the way that you try to manage in your mind how to get through it is you're, wait- you're waiting for something better. Anyone ever been waiting for something better? You're just waiting for the storm to end. You're just waiting for the season of sorrow to pass. We're just waiting. And what I've learned in that time of waiting, someone say waiting, you start to wonder if it's ever going to stop waiting, if you're going to arrive one day. And while you're there, though, there could be a number of things that could happen. You, You might need to learn something. There might be something to learn. There might be something for someone else to learn and they need to see you go through it. They need to see what a Christian looks like going through this storm and the learning might not even be for you. Maybe that whatever it is that you're just waiting for something better, maybe that time is to make you better. There's, there's so much, even a part of our church, that has been birthed out of waiting. Out of waiting, not knowing what was around the corner, but just taking mental notes of of things that we wanted to be like and things that we didn't want to be like. You can get better while you're waiting for something better. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And it might just be time for you to leave it behind. It might be time to leave it behind. Maybe you've been waiting in the same spot for years and you're so unhappy and perhaps yes, it is your time to wait. Like yeah. There's good things that come from waiting. But have you come to the thought or the idea of maybe it's time for you to leave, time for you to change? And whatever it is, it's this idea of something better. It's this idea that our situation is the bill it gives the ability of happiness. There's there's so many different things that can poke at you, pull you from your circumstances, from your situations, and it can be so difficult. It's like, have you ever heard those, those uh, scenarios where it's like, diamonds are formed out of pressure? Diamonds are formed out of pressure. That's true, but so is rubble. <laughs> so is brokenness. A, a, a very hard foundation can be destroyed out of pressure. And so you have to look at your situation and see, am I, being, am I being made into a diamond? Can I see this? Or is it past that point and you're starting to doubt some very important things that you believe in? Are you starting to doubt your faith? Are you starting Are do you feel yourself kind of going the opposite way of where you want to be? Y'all dig what I'm saying? Once it gets to that point, maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to stop killing yourself. And, and go to something better. Y'all dig what I mean? Now, talking about where I'm at, we're talking about our surroundings, right? Community can be confusing. Someone say community. That's the people you surround yourself with, whether it's at work, at home, uh, at church, everywhere that you find fellowship with other human beings is a community. And what's, what's so interesting about community is that it could be either the best thing in your life or the worst thing in your life. Anyone ever been a part of a just terrible community? Major skin crawl? You know, when you think about a seed, think about a seed. When it's planted in the ground, be... Because of its surroundings, because of the community of soil that it's in, it could either grow or stay the same. What's, what's great is that I, I'm not much of a farmer, but I feel like some seeds can be replanted, but if it's left there for too long, it'll die. It'll just turn into a pebble. And what's amazing is that when you're with a true community, a real community community, what, what happens to that seed? Think about, uh, let's personify that seed. Think about the doubts, like I can't let myself in. I can't, I can't let these people in. I can't drop down these walls. I just have to keep me together, even around this, these, this soil, around these people. But the moment that the seed is willing to trust its surroundings, be open with itself, all of a sudden it's almost like this fear of dying. Like if I, if I open myself, then what's going to be left of me? But when you're in a good community, a healthy one, and you allow those people to, to dig in, then no, it, it is like a dying to self because you have to trust other people. But when you do, you just blossom into this, some, this, this amazing plant that's useful for the world. But what is a seed all by itself? It's just by itself. It's only good for eating, right? Like pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds. But even still, you have to get rid of the shell. So many times we're in a good community, but we just won't trust people. We won't be open with them to allow ourselves to really blossom. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Talking about confusing communities... What about the, let's, let's break it down real quick to the times that you don't fit. You don't fit. You ever feel like that before? You're at a job, at a workplace, at a church, maybe in your own family, and there's a point where you start just rubbing people the wrong way. Maybe they start rubbing you the wrong way. Anyone ever been involved with like something like that? Now, let me just say this. There's times where there's just like, like let's use church as an example, everyone here has gone to church because you came here today you could use church as an example or work as an example there's times where you don't fit in not because you're just different or because they're just bad people there's times where y'all just have different values different things are important and and maybe the things that are so important to you are important to them but it's not a priority to them y'all take what i'm saying and so because of that lack of perception for one another, it causes you to feel misunderstood. It causes you to feel out of place. And just because y'all have different values, y'all are not seeing on the same page. And it's irritating. And whenever that happens, if you're stuck at that place like it's your job and you can't leave, you've got to finish, finish it out, you've you got to change your perspective to see the way that they see and know that... Don't have it in your heart and your mind that, oh, they're just bad people. Just understand that they see things differently than you. And whether you think that it's wrong or right, if you if you just like accept that and know that that's just how they believe and it's not your job to change them, then you're going to be a lot happier where you're at. But if you just keep holding on to your pride and saying no, they need to do things my way. Are you really that much different than them? And so sometimes it's just different values and when you just understand that that's what they want to make important, that's their priority and you can respect that, you will be happier. You won't be so frustrated all the time. Now, there's other times where if you have the opportunity, then go. If if you hate your job so much and you feel like it's so bad, start looking for another one. You know, find a place that does have the values that you have. But just know that every workplace has trouble. Every workplace has its issues, but the moment that you can actually find you know some type of happiness like that that's good to find. Y- y'all dig what I'm saying? Is if it's a church like I'm I'm one person that I do not believe that you have to go to the same church the rest of your life. If you if you do not feel connected or happy at a certain church, you should be able to go to one that you do. Why 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 brutalize yourself at, at not connecting with the community? That has different values than you. If you can find a church that's better for for what you believe in, and you can be more connected, then why not? Isn't that what church is supposed to be a place for you to find community as well as finding Christ? Y'all dig what I mean? And see, when you can't, when you just don't fit in, it it's often that you can also be connected with people. Uh, you can be in a community. You do fit in, but you still feel like you're not connected. You, you feel like you're, you're not really there. You just can't connect. And what I would, what I would argue is that, it's, it's that you can't trust those people. You can hang out with them. You can talk with them. You can shoot the breeze. You can even be somewhat yourself, but you're not willing to be transparent. Why wouldn't you be willing to be transparent? Because you don't trust them. And did you know that every society and philosophy and ethics has to be able to trust the members of that society to be able to grow? If you can't trust the people in your city, in your town, just in general, that you, it cannot thrive as a society. If you think that everyone's going to steal from you, if you think everyone's going to try to hurt you, if you can't trust anybody, then it's gonna, it, that society will collapse. How much more in our families, in our churches, should we have a sense of trust to where we're able to be transparent with one another? I was having a conversation with uh, one of my family members, Julian, in the car the other day. And I was being just like super transparent. And I'm not talking about this transparency that people think in their mind of being critical of someone else. Like, oh, I'm going to be honest with what I see in them. I was being honest with things that were within myself, talking about my imperfections, not trying to point out theirs. And I was being super honest and transparent with my heart and and our situations and our family. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, all I've ever wanted is for an adult to be real with me, to just be honest. And I, think, I, I just think it's crazy because adults aren't even honest with each other. I strongly believe that teenagers are not brats. A lot of people think that teenagers are just this, the epitome of God showing us what it's like to have someone rebel against us. <laughs> I believe that teenagers just haven't learned to put on so many masks like you do when you're an adult. Do teenagers not say what everybody's thinking? <laughs> To where it's inappropriate, but everyone else in the room was thinking it. They they came at that you know they came at somebody's neck saying something mean or rude. You're like you can't say that, but you just thought it in your head. (laughs) The only difference is that adults learn how to pretend to be happy. Adults learn how to pretend to be polite. They're not really polite; they're just pretending. Y'all dig what I'm saying? If you can't be transparent with the community you, that you're in, then there, there needs to be a stronger sense of trust. You need to step out and be willing to let your guard down a little bit. So many times we think we need, people need to earn our trust. But we should give trust. We should extend it. And people earn distrust. We should trust people without them having to do anything off the bat. And when they earn that distrust, then they earned it. Y'all dig that? It's a little bit different than what our society tells us. When it comes to where I'm at, some other things that might make you feel out of place is when your purpose seems vague. You don't really know why you're doing what you're doing anymore. You don't know why you have this job. You just got this job, and you've been doing it for so long, and Now it's years and years have gone by and you're still not happy where you're at. You don't know why you're there. Maybe you don't know why you're a Christian anymore. You don't know why in your faith. Maybe it's because your family grew up in church and you're starting to have doubts. And you're wondering, well, I mean, why is it mine now? Maybe God was really good when you first gave your life to Christ. Life was good. And you thought, man, everything's working together now. But now life is starting to suck. And you're thinking, man... Why am I even doing all this if I'm not getting any kind of backup or reward here on earth? Maybe it's even in your marriage and you' you're you're forgetting why y'all got together in the first place man that's that's one that that's so it's so interesting how we forget what what it was like at the beginning and i I know so many people that they came up with so many reasons why the beginning wasn't real the beginning wasn't real there's there's a family that i know uh out of town out of out of this city and i remember when when they're going through a hard time um one of the spouses saying well you know we just we weren't really thinking at the beginning it just happened so fast and I remember, I knew them when they first got together, and I remember thinking like, I I knew you guys, like y'all seemed really happy together, y'all seemed in love, y'all seemed like y'all really dug one another, but that purpose that you have at the beginning can grow, faded out over time, it's the same way in our jobs, and in our career paths, and our families, and our faith, it just seems vague after a while. You don't feel the same like you used to so that leads us to our our second point anymore someone say anymore i'm not happy anymore i was happy but i'm not anymore there's either a change in you there's either a change in them or there's a change in perspective see things differently now A lot of times I hear so many Christians that abandon their faith because they say, I just don't have that passion anymore. I don't have that fire anymore like I used to. Sounds the same thing with, with marriage, with job. I just don't know why I'm here anymore. That passion seems paused. The passion that you had at the beginning in your faith, in your job, in your marriage, in your family... It seems pause and let me say this as as something to maybe help you find that passion again, because I feel like happiness is directly connected to passion you're you're happy when you're passionate about things, and I strongly believe that feelings follow our actions feelings follow our actions we the term uh, the grass is greener on the other side. The grass over here is burnt. Usually it's because we haven't been watering that grass like we, we used to. And when I think about, let's use marriage as a simple example. People say, I fell out of love. I fell out of love. I lost it. I used to feel it, now I don't. What I would argue that the actions have changed from the beginning to the current point. When you first get together, man, I, I, I'll use me and my wife as an example. I was willing to do anything to go see her. She lived three hours away. We started talking. We started dating. Then we started kissing. I was like, oh, my gosh. I want to just make out with her all the time. <laughs> you ever think back when you were dating someone and y'all just made out all the time? <laughs> When you get married, it's like you don't make out as much. Anyone notice that? Like, not yet. When we were dating, I, was, I would get her flowers. Every, almost every time I would see her, I would get her flowers. I asked her what she wanted for her birthday this month. She said, just flowers. Just flowers. It's like, all right, I get it. But see, we we're, we do so much at the beginning dating that person to get to a goal, right? And our goal is usually uh, to marry that person. Like, oh man, she's got to say yes after this. We're, we're, our goal is to get married one day or have kids or whatever. And once you get there, it's like, well, I guess I arrived. Just put these dating tools back on the shelf and we'll retire from here. <laughs> but The marriages that I see that are still thriving after years and years are the ones that still have date nights, that still talk. I mean, it's so easy to just have days after days, work after work, you start having kids and it's like, it's just life is tiring. It gets so tiring and it's more difficult to even just be intimate with each other. It's after a long day, it's even the guys like, well, I'm kind of tired, babe, (laughs) kind of have a headache. I don't Let's just let's revisit this tomorrow. <laughs> but at the beginning if she would have gave you that chance, you'd have man, you would have had a velcro suit on. <laughs> let's go, baby. I'm ready. But it's like after t- time is like the biggest killer of passion. A fire dies out unless you keep adding things to the fire. We don't add any actions and we're like, man, why is this fire dead? I thought it was just supposed to burn forever on its own. That doesn't make sense. I had a student one time say, flowers are a representation of love. The student is here today. <laughs> flowers are a representation of love, but isn't it messed up because all flowers are just, di- just die anyway? And so it's like, love always dies? It's like, no. It's perfect symbolism because it shows that love can't be shown one time. It has to be shown over and over again because the action you showed at the beginning won't last for years to come. You have to get flowers multiple times. Y'all dig that? That's pretty good. That passion that you want it needs to be watered. It needs to be fed. Because if not, the things that were special will become ordinary. The things that are special will become ordinary. And I, when it comes to faith, I think that's the most important passion any human being can have. It deals with our eternity, but it also deals with our connection to the Creator, our, our connection to the King of the universe. I mean, think of it. Don't you feel honored or, like, appreciated when the boss of the company, even just a manager, gives you a pat on the back? And says, hey, man, that was a good job. And you're like, boss saw me today. If you've ever been in a, a, a corporate company and the CEO or, like, some big wig, you know, tells you, like, hey, you've been doing a good job. You're like, oh, man, man, that feels awesome. You tell everybody about it. Yeah, the boss told me this. What can I say? I remember I I moved to Florida when I was a junior in high school. And Texas has higher standardized testings than other states. And when I moved over there, the state test was easy for me. And I just did the test. And I got a a letter from the senator of Florida at the time that said, I just want to congratulate you for doing such a great job on the test. You set the standard for the state of Florida. Man, I was telling everybody. (laughs) I was like, look, I didn't even have to try, and I got recommended. (laughs) See, we get so fluffed up just from ordinary people telling us, hey, man, good job, because it makes you feel like you're personally connected to them. And here the God of the universe, the creator of every human being, the creator of the universe, is saying, hey, I want to connect with you. In fact, I'm willing to die just to be with you. And we just write it off as ordinary. Yeah, it's... I'm a Christian, but eh, you're like one of those secret Christian ninjas. You don't tell anybody else. (laughs) People are surprised that you're a Christian. It's weird to me that I can see Avengers Infinity War and I'll tell everybody about it. It's the best movie ever. But it's like when we have an experience with God, why do we hide that? We have a true connection. I mean, so many of us have had a passionate experience with God and we're just like, man, I'm going to just lock that way in my heart and not tell anybody else about it. When I first got engaged, before I was even married, people even knew my wife. They knew Lauren. And I was like, yeah, my fiance. <laughs> Telling everyone that I was engaged, just any chance I got. At the bank, just making a deposit. They don't even want to talk to me. I was like, yeah. I got to get back to my fiance, you know, it's just <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Oh, are you engaged? Like, Oh yeah. I didn't even realize I was at the bank once I got married and I was just, I started just tapping my ring on the counter just so that they knew <laughs> They're like, Oh, did, are you married? They would have to think that. Cause I'm just giving this annoying tapping sound. <laughs> I'll do anything to share this amazing experience that I just had by, by, marrying another human being. Yeah, with Christianity, it's like the best kept secret of our lives. You know, I believe that a lot of our passions, a lot of our, our, our reasons for unhappiness is because we work so much harder at doing dumb things than we do at working at things that are important. I would say that... Uh, let me give one story before we finish up. Can, is that okay? Someone say yes. 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 I, before I gave my life to Christ, I lived a crazy kind of life. After I gave my life to Christ, I was just reborn. It was like a whole new experience. I did all kinds of drugs and bad stuff before. Once I became a Christian, like just wanted to tell everybody about this, this amazing truth that I found. I remember literally thinking, man, I... I I bet my, the friends that I have, they probably just don't know about this because I didn't know about this. Man, and they could find this amazing truth too. I literally thought that. I was like, I don't even have to do drugs anymore. I I have Jesus. Like I was literally surprised. And I remember going to, uh, I would come, I would often visit my friend out of town and usually we'd buy a QP, which is a quarter pound of marijuana. And we just smoke all weekend. It was just, at, before I gave my life to Christ, that was the only thing that could bring me a little bit of happiness. But the happiness would fade as soon as I was done. And I remember this one week and I said, no, I don't want to I don't need to do drugs anymore. I even called him and prepped him. I said, hey, man, I, I gave my life to Christ is an amazing experience. I don't even have to do drugs anymore. I'm not going to sm- smoke or drink anymore from this point on. And he's just like, uh, OK. <laughs> All right, man, if that's what you want to do. And I remember I visited that weekend and I was just like trying to just tell them all about Jesus, all about what I've been reading in the Bible. It's just my mind was blown. Their minds were blown, too, but in a different way. And I was I remember that when it came to that Sunday, I, I, I told them, man, just come with me with this church. Just come with me to this church. They're going to pick me up and everything. And they're like, no, we're going we're gonna to try out this different church. We're going to go. You go ahead. We're going to try this one. And I'm like, come on, man. Just Are you all really going to go? Like, just come with me. He said, no, we're going to go to this other one. So I, I left, went to church, had a great experience. When I got back, everyone was just uh, playing video games, drinking 40s, and smoking weed. 40 is a 40 ounce of beer, malt liquor, that you could buy at the store for $2. And I remember getting there and... Uh, praise God for the rain. I remember once I got back, and they were all just—they were all just out drinking. They're like, "Oh man!" And I, I asked them, "Guys, did y'all go to church after all?" And my friend is like, "Oh man, you wouldn't believe it. You won't believe what happened, man. We try to go to this church, and it was closed down. So, dang." <laughs> I was like, okay, and then what? said, oh, man, and we just were so discouraged after that. We didn't know what to do. <laughs> so you only tried one church? He said, well, we we tried another one, but we didn't really like how the vibe was. And so we just got so, I mean, can you believe that? The church had the chains on the door and everything. It was closed down. Oh, man, we were so, it, and so we, we just decided to come back home and, you know the corner store was right there, so we just picked up some 40s and some some papers on the way, and you know that's, that's where we're at now. But man, we were we couldn't believe that we couldn't go to church today. And I looked at my friend. I was just kind of like disappointed and perplexed. And I was like, man. And I told him, I said, dude, I've seen you work harder at trying to smoke out of an apple than you did at going to church today. You've worked harder at making a makeshift bong than you did at just trying to go to church today. And I was like, oh my gosh, like how could you say that? And isn't that funny that we work so hard at other things? Anyone play video games in here? How many hours have you spent playing a video game before? (laughs) Julian says technically two days. Play hours straight, putting so much time and energy in something that doesn't give anything back. But when it comes to God, we're like, well, I don't feel it. I don't know why. We don't put any actions to our faith. We don't put any actions to the passion. But one thing that will lead us dead in the water is when we're not happy with ourselves. Someone say with myself. Myself. Last week, we talked about me, myself, and I. How selfish we are as people. But today, ending on this idea of myself talking about doubts, fears, failures. You know, so many of us have dreams. We have a desire to do something great, but we have so many doubts within ourselves. And there's so many people that think, I wanna start this business, I wanna do that, but we doubt ourselves from ever trying. You you want to get a better job, but you think to yourself, there's no way that I could do it. I would love to be this, but I'm just not that. And we stop ourselves from ever trying because of our doubts and our fears of failures. And what I want to say to you today, when it comes to that happiness that really we're all looking for in some way, it's when we give up on ourselves that that unhappiness starts to grow and fester and we just never revisit it. We talked about, yes, our circumstances and our community and our situations can drown out our happiness. But when you are happy within yourself, you're able to get past of everything around you. And oftentimes, if you've heard the saying, um, I've heard so many people tell me, well, I, I love my kids so much more than I love myself. I love others way more than I love myself. And I believe them. But the truth is, they don't love themselves very much. And so the love that they show others just comes across as mean. Yeah, you love your kids, but it doesn't come across that way because you think so little of yourself that just expressing the little bit to them comes across as bad. I think especially when it comes to our faith, we allow our failures and inequities to stop us from growing. Times, I, I, I'm, like a, I'm like a lunatic when it comes to inviting people to church. The only people that I don't invite to, peop, uh, to church are people that are already going to another church. But in my job, I, even when I first moved here, I drove for Uber and, and Lyft for a minute, hated it. But the only thing I did like was every human being that got in my car, I was like, hey, so are you new in town? You you around this area? Are you in a church or anything like that? I ended up just inviting every person in my car. And they had to stay there. I mean, they're not going to jump out on the highway. so. <laughs> and I'll just invite everybody to church. And one of the, the most common things I would hear back is well, I just need to get right first before I start doing the church thing. Or I, oh, if I go into the church, I'd burn down. It's like, man, dude, what have you been doing? <laughs> Burned down. That's like some, that's crazy that you have such a high view of spirituality. <laughs> but I, so many people are just so condemned in themselves. Lauren talks about how we're doing a free hugs next Sunday. Last year when we did a free hugs event, we did it at the Alamo. And the whole idea was to show just the love to people. We believe in a, even a spiritual transaction of someone giving us a hug, we believe that the Holy Spirit's going to rub off on them. We believe that the Word of God is so powerful that even just giving people these little scripture cards, that, that, that seed was powerful enough, as small as it was, to grow into a, a, whole, a whole forest of fruitfulness. And we picked that spot because right down the street from us was a group of, uh, I guess, Christians. I don't know. But they they had these signs that said hellfire. They were wearing complete suits. I think Christians are the only ones that are allowed to wear tacky suits. But I've never seen a business person wearing a, a tacky suit like that. But I remember he was wearing all suited up, had a little microphone on his belt, and was just yelling at everyone, You're going to hell! You girls need to put some clothes on. You're going to hell out here, and they're just yelling that over and over and over. And so that's why I was like, "Oh well, we we should prop up just down the street from them because well, people are gonna need a hug after that." <laughs> and I remember at the end, I said, "You know what? I think I know what's wrong with them guys. Let's go give them a hug." <laughs> we're right about to leave, so let's go give them a hug. And I was walking up with my sign, shaking it back and forth, saying "free hugs." As soon as they saw me, this guy turned to me. It was like hitman status. It was like, he was like a soldier just shooting out. His job was to take people out. And he turned over at me started firing away. I said, you need to repent. That's what you need to do. I just, hey man, we're Christians, dude. <laughs> oh yeah, well you need to put repent on those signs. I said, man... You you may be doing a good job at telling people how sick they are, but we're just telling them who the doctor is. And I feel like that's that's what people already know. People already know that they're messed up. People already know that they're broken. And maybe within yourself, I mean, you know yourself better than anybody else. Maybe your phone knows you a little bit better. But you... You know, every thought that you've had, every every evil thought that you've had, you've known, you know, every doubt, every fear, you know, all the goals that you've made in your head that you didn't meet up to. You know, this idea of God that you want to have and this idea of yourself that you want to be. And you know, the times that you don't be that person, you know, better than anybody else. And. When it comes to this fear of failure, I think the reason that so many of us are unhappy with ourselves is because we have this performance-based love view of God. We think that we're only loved when we're good. We're only a good person when we do good. The times that we mess up, God's ready to slam dunk us to hell. And... I want to read you all this poem that I wrote several years ago. And I remember when I gave my life to Christ, I was so, I was so in love with God. I was so passionate. But I still had my mistakes. I still realized that I wasn't perfect. And as, as hard as I tried to be perfect, I would always come up short. I just couldn't, I couldn't control myself. And I often would try to control others and I remember I would just mess up and feel like such a failure. I, I remember I would have thoughts. of I've never, I have never wanted to commit suicide before I gave my life to Christ. I've cut myself and hurt myself and did things that made it seem like I wanted to die. But there's never a point within myself where I wanted to die. I remember just thinking like, man, uh, you know, wow, I don't want to give up because I never know what tomorrow has. And the first time that I had thoughts of suicide was after I gave my life to Christ. And I remember it was a thought of not being able to live up to what a Christian was supposed to be in my head. The thought of loving God so much but feeling like I would always fail Him. And I remember one of those times that I would express myself to God sometimes when I couldn't find the words to pray. I would just start writing. And I remember this was a time where thought I understood grace, but it wasn't until the end of this that I really started to learn about it. I'm going to read it to you guys. It says, what is my lesson? What do I need to learn? How many times must I hide my face from you? How many times must I fall until I'm able to stand? How dirty must I feel in order to be cleansed? If all sin is equal, why does mine feel so much worse? How can I be so close to you without feeling more distant from you? I am a sinful man trying to serve a holy God. How do I become pure? How can I live exposed? Is it me or is it the sin in me? Why do I fall and why do I sin? Am I to learn grace or self-control? Do I need the lesson of freedom or forgiveness? Grace, where do you place my grace? Does it empower me or cover me? Does it leave or stay? Do I reach for it or do I wait for it? Let me hear you, God. Let me understand your grace for me. I'm tired of failing and I'm tired. I'm scared of losing. Please don't take your spirit from me. Teach me your absolutes and your truths. Forgive me, God. Please cover me with your grace. Please strengthen me to stand and not fall. I have nothing without you. Lift me up again, O God, for I need your grace, your undeniable grace. I was a sinner when you called me and when you loved me, so I will believe in your grace. I was never standing on my own, but on your grace. There's so many Christians that I talk to that are unhappy, that are broken people, that still feel like they're sinners in the midst of a holy God. But God's forgiveness and His love, His love is not based on your performance. I talked about how we need to do things that feed our passions but when you have that unconditional love in a community, in a family, in a marriage, when you have that love, it makes a difference in your life. It, it causes you to experience a glimpse of that happiness that we're all searching for. But the ultimate experience that you can get is when you accept in faith and believe in God's unconditional love for you. I want us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here and you realize that you haven't accepted that unconditional love, you be- maybe you've even believed in God, but today you need to make a decision where you live in faith and trust Him as your Savior. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. So I want us to pray this prayer as a reaffirmation of your faith. If you've already prayed this prayer, I want you to pray it again. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in You. I believe you, the Son of God, that you died for me on the cross. I want my happiness to be found in you. Be the Lord of my life and the Savior to my soul. In Jesus' name.